best way to study God's Word is just go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And whenever people ask me, what is the best book of the Bible to begin studying? And if you're not a regular Bible student, what is the best book of the Bible to begin studying? I always say, read the Gospel of John. Start with the Gospel of John, because if you want to know something that will build your faith, if you want to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to understand what your duty to the Lord is, we find all of those things in the Gospel of John. And this 14th chapter of John is really one of the greatest chapters that we have in the Bible. And for the last two sermons, I've been talking about just the wonderful promises that Jesus gave the disciples in this 14th chapter. One of the things that he promised them was that he was leaving. He was going to leave this world. He was about to go to the cross. But he told them, he said, I, I'm still uh, going away. I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to make a home for you. And what he meant was that when we leave this world, we're able to go and be in heaven with him. And that's a wonderful promise that Jesus has given. He also said that when he left, that he would come back again. Not that he would send somebody else, but Jesus said very clearly, I'm coming back. I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, of course, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was here. We're still waiting on the fulfillment of that promise. But we, just like all Christians before us, all the way back to the first century, we believe that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. And if Jesus should decide to delay his coming... If he waits another 2,000 years, we do have this promise that when we die, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, that we will awaken in that home that he's prepared for us. Now, those are great promises. And I hope that you're a child of God today. I sincerely hope that everyone here is a believer in Jesus Christ and you can claim these promises for yourself. But we also have some other great teachings here in this 14th chapter. And what we're going to talk about today is obedience We're going to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit into the world and also the peace that comes into a Christian's heart by knowing Jesus as your Savior and then having the presence of the Spirit. I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we read God's Word today. We're looking at John chapter 14. I want to begin reading at verse number 15. John 14, verse number 15. And here Jesus says, "'If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father.'" And he shall give you another comforter. And that word comfort there sometimes translated in other versions of the Bible as helper, sometimes as advocate, sometimes as counselor in other ways. But here it says in our King James Version, the comforter, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, 
And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, and there's the word again, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But the world, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word today. We thank you for the precious promises that we find in this 14th chapter. And Lord, I ask you as we speak about your word today, help us to learn something. Draw us closer to you, and may we see the things that we need to do to really be uh, in good fellowship, right fellowship with you. Bless our people as we preach your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Since we began the 13th chapter several weeks ago, I've reminded you in each of these sermons that chapters 13 through 17 are some of the private discourses that Jesus had with his disciples. What Jesus has done here is to draw his disciples away in the last moments of his life. Very soon, Jesus would go to the cross, and Jesus reserved this very special time in those last hours to teach his disciples in a very personal, intimate setting. I also want to remind you, as we talk about this today, that what we've read in the Scriptures this morning is intended for those who are believers in Jesus. What Jesus had to say here is not for just anyone. Jesus is no longer speaking to the crowds. He's drawn the disciples aside and, as I said, reserved this time to teach them some special things, some of his most revolutionary teachings. And then we need to understand this, that what Jesus teaches in these verses are not for just everybody. And most of the world really doesn't understand that, I think, because they believe that the, the principles of Christianity, the ideas of Christ, serving Christ, that's for all people. And it really doesn't matter whether you are a believer in Jesus Christ or not. These are principles that you can live by. Well, if that were true, if what we read in the Bible, especially in these verses, are just for anyone, then Jesus would not be speaking specifically to his disciples. Once again, we would find Jesus in this passage of Scripture teaching at the Mount of Olives. Or perhaps Jesus would be in the temple and he would be speaking to the people there, talking to all the crowds. But that's not what we find Jesus doing. Jesus has gone aside privately with the disciples and he teaches his own chosen ones. Today, if you were to ask me what is the essence of Christianity, I would say that it's Christ. Jesus Christ is Christianity. And you can't have Christianity without Jesus Christ. Now, people think that you can, and that's why I say that you can't live the principles of Christianity without having Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, you can't have Christianity. 
But then I would also tell you that the essence of Christianity is that there is a response to the person of Christianity, and that response for every one of us is to trust and obey. What we need to do first is to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, and then next we are to obey him. Now, in verse number 15, Jesus puts that very simply and succinctly. He says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Now, that's what I want to talk to you about first in the sermon today. I want to talk to you about obedience, the priority of obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, before I go further, though, I think that we need to explain this. You need to understand very clearly that Jesus never said to any person, keep my commandments in order that you might be saved. Keep my commandments in order that you might be able to go to heaven. And that's because there's not the keeping of any commandment that will ever take you to heaven. Jesus is not saying you have to keep the Ten Commandments in order to go to heaven. He's not saying that you need to keep that 11th commandment that I talked about a few weeks ago, the command to love one another. He never said that you have to keep that command in order to go to heaven. Jesus never said that you had to keep commands like being baptized or taking communion, going to confession, speaking to a priest, having last rites. None of those things, praying to Mary. Jesus never said that any of those things will ever take a person to heaven. Not one command that you keep has ever saved one single solitary person. So salvation is not in the keeping of commands. Salvation is only by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the person of salvation. So only Jesus can save. There there aren't any works of obedience that will save you or make you any more saved once you are saved. See, here's what will happen when you get to heaven. There won't be one person who will ever ask you this question. What good work did you do to get here? That question will never be asked. Salvation is not found in keeping of commands. But does that mean that keeping of commandments and obedience to the Lord is unimportant? Does it mean that it's irrelevant for us to to look at the commands that are written in God's Word and we really don't need to keep them? No, that's not what that means. Obedience is extremely important. It's extremely useful to those of us who are the children of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to give you today three reasons why, first in the message, three reasons why your obedience to the Lord is so important. Why must you be obedient to Christ? Well, first of all, to prove your love for Christ. In verses 15, 21, 23, and 24, we see that obedience is inseparably tied to, or love, rather, is inseparably tied to obedience. If you look again at this, verse number 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse number 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Verse number 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. Verse number 24, He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings. And so we see that obedience and love, showing our love for Christ, these are inseparable things. You must obey in order to show that you love Christ. So never dare come into the church and pick up your hymnal and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, unless you're willing to obey everything that Jesus says for you to do. Now, I know that you can't be perfect. God knows that you can't be perfect. Jesus never said we had to be perfect. 
But he certainly does want us to have a desire in our heart of obedience. And obedience really means that we don't question what God says. Uh, we, we don't doubt what God says. But immediately what we decide to do is to do exactly what God says. That's what obedience is all about. Not perfection, but just the desire of your heart. That when God tells me to do this, I'm willing to do that. You know, I once heard the story of a, of a mother who tried to teach her children to obey. And she was determined that she would teach her children that at the moment that she said something, they would obey her. She wouldn't have to ask twice. Whatever she said, they would obey. Now, some of you as parents would do well to teach your children that. Whatever you say at one time, that's enough. Obey what you say. So this lady tried to teach her children to obey right on the spot. One day she came home from, from uh, the store and her five children were all huddled in the yard and they were all looking at something. So she walked up to her children to see what they were looking at and she noticed that in the middle of those five children there was a skunk and five baby skunks. Well, the mother said, children, run! And immediately, those children were taught to obey, so they ran. But as they did, the first thing they did was picked up a baby skunk and took it with them. Now, the good news, of course, is they obeyed her immediately. The bad news, they took a skunk with them. But here's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. I want you to prove your love to me. I want you to be obedient. Keep my commandments. And so we could very easily say, or, or, or we, could, we could point it out very simply, that disobedience to Christ is no proof of love. If you are a person, a believer in Jesus Christ, and you refuse to obey what he says, you don't have any proof of your love. Now, maybe there's some of you that need to learn that today. I know that there are some Christians who need to learn that in church attendance, because they don't go to church like they ought to, but that's a point of obedience. There are some of you who need to learn this in your prayer life. You don't pray as God told you to pray. Some of you need to learn it in your speech. You don't talk the way that you ought to. You don't say what you ought to. You use bad language and you need to learn this. There are some of you I know today that have been coming to church and you haven't yet been baptized. You ought to be baptized. That's an area of obedience. Some of you come to church and you haven't yet become members of the Lord's church. That's still another point of obedience. And then, of course, there's some of you that need to learn it in tithing. You don't do that, and you should. And then you need to learn it in an area like your love and your care and your concern that you have for other people. Jesus says, you prove your love to me by your obedience. Now, we notice a second reason also why obedience is required. Secondly, to promote your fellowship with Christ. Verse number 21 says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. You ever thought about the reason that you're saved? I mean, what is the real reason that God saved you? Now, some people say, well, the primary reason that I'm saved is so that I can go to heaven. That's why I got saved. And I pointed out to you before, you probably remember me preaching about this, that if the object of salvation is simply for you to go to heaven, the best thing for you to do is when you get saved, take out a gun, shoot yourself in the head, and you can go straight to heaven. And I'll help you if you'd like. I mean, I can do this. Today, I can take you over here to the waters of baptism, and I'll stand on the outside and let you get in the water, and I'll drop a toaster in. And I'll get you to heaven today. I promise you, I could do that. If that's the object of being saved, going to heaven, that's what we ought to do. But here's something that we really need to, to understand, that 
Eternal life is not something that begins when you get to heaven. Eternal life begins right now. Eternal life is having a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ right at this very moment. And so you're not saved just to go to heaven. There's other reasons. Now, it's possible for you to be saved and yet not really be very close to Jesus Christ. And there are many Christians that when they get, once they get saved, they, they live out on the fringes. They live out on the edge of their fellowship with the Lord. You know, when I became a Christian, I didn't really want to be on the outside. It was my interest, and what I wanted to do was to be on the inside of fellowship. I wanted to be involved in all the things that were going on in the church. I wanted to have a part of that. Now, quite frankly, you know, we, we love all the members of Berean Baptist Church. We love and care for every single member of Berean Baptist Church. But the truth is, there are some of you that have never broken in to the inner fellowship of the church. And the reason that you don't is because you're not willing or your, your, your desire is lacking to use the spiritual gift that God has given you to work in your church, to be a part of it, to be a part of the fellowship and things that go on here. And so consequently, there are so many Christians that never get intimate in their relationship with Jesus Christ because they're not obedient to use the gifts that God has given them. They're not obedient to become a part of his church, to really get on the inside and see what goes on. Now, folks, there is no doubt that Jesus loved every single believer. Jesus loves every person who puts their faith in him. You never get shortchanged in your love that Christ has for you because of your obedience. And that's because the love that Christ has for us is unconditional. Our salvation was never conditioned upon things that we do in the first place. And so the love that Christ has for us is not conditioned upon our obedience. Now, here's the reason why. It's because God does not save us for our sake. He saves us for Christ's sake. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, it is the obedience of Jesus Christ, which is the reason why we can be saved. When you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives you his righteousness. And so you never have to worry about the issue of obedience as far as salvation is concerned. But I'll tell you this, folks, you don't get the benefits of Christ's love. You won't realize the benefits of his love without your obedience to him. You'll never feel that closeness. You'll never have this intimacy of fellowship with Christ if you're not faithful to obey him. And that's why we have many miserable Christians. You want to find a miserable miserable Christian? Find one who doesn't obey the Lord. Find one who doesn't have a good church life. Find one that stays on the outside all the time. There you'll find an unhappy Christian. But it's also why we have many Christians that when things are going bad at work, when their health deteriorates, when the economy is poor, they're still happy. They're still happy because you know why? Because their happiness is hinged upon their obedience to the Lord. It's the whole matter of here. Happiness breeds, or excuse me, obedience breeds happiness. Now, back in the 13th chapter, Jesus said, if ye know these things, listen, happy are ye if ye do them. Now, I want you to also notice what Jesus says in verse 23 of our text in the 14th chapter. He said, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So obedience, once again, obedience does not promote our relationship with God. We've already got the relationship. There's no danger. 
of, using, of losing the relationship based upon our obedience. But obedience promotes our fellowship. And what Jesus says here, as you obey, you're drawn closely into the family of God. Now, we all know that there's a difference between being in the family and being in the immediate family. Now, all of us have extended families. We have aunts and uncles, cousins, grandma, grandpa. They're not really in our immediate family. Who's in the immediate family? Well, usually we think of the immediate family as those who pull up a chair under our table every night, who live in our home. Those are the ones that are in the immediate family. Now, I know most of us don't do this anymore. You don't see this very often. But when I was a kid, when it came supper time, everybody was at the table for supper time. And everybody had a place to sit. My dad sat at the head of the table. My brother sat to his right. I sat to my brother's left. My sister sat across, older sister sat across the table to my brother's right. My younger sister, I still remember, sat on my left and my mother at the other end of the table. And we were always there for supper time. Now, folks, when you're saved, you're in the family of God. Everybody who gets saved is in the family of God. But the problem is, you may not be in the immediate family of God. Now, we we sing that song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You know, I'm so happy I'm a part of the family of God. But I look at some of the other members of our church. I was traveling with Brother Larry all week. We had a great time. But sometimes I look and I say, I'm surprised he's a part of the family of God. But do you know what happened? Do you know what happened if we didn't obey? If dad came home and mom said, you know, Mark was disobedient today. He didn't do what I told him to do. You know what happened to me? Sometimes I wouldn't get to sit at the table. Instead, he'd send me to my room and I'd have to be separated from the family and I wouldn't get to eat with the rest of the family. You can tell by looking at me, I wasn't very often disobedient. I was a pretty good kid. So I didn't miss too many meals. But here's what happens. If you disobey Christ, if you disobey the commands, you miss out on this intimacy of fellowship that you have with Christ. Now let me show you a third reason why you must obey. Number three is to pray effectively by Christ. Now here's another thing you need to know. Did you know that answers to prayer are tied to obedience? Answers to prayer are tied to your obedience to Christ. Now, back in verses 13 and 14, just previous to what we read, Jesus says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, it's not coincidental that the Apostle John, who recorded these words of Jesus, also wrote the, the epistles of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st John chapter 3, verse 22, here's what John said. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, listen, because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. J. Vernon McGee tells a very interesting story about one night when uh, an old fundamental preacher by the name of Harry Ironside was preaching. Maybe you've heard of Harry Ironside. But Harry Ironside was preaching on John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. And he made the statement to the people. He said, when you pray in Jesus' name, you get your prayers answered. And there was a lady in the congregation who became very angry about that. And, and she said, how dare you tell people that if they pray in the name of Jesus, that Jesus will do this? 
Well, Harry Ironside asked her to calm down a little bit, and he asked her why she was so upset. And she began to explain. And she said, my father was desperately ill, so we called for the doctor to come and see him. While the doctor was up in his room, I was downstairs. I knelt down on my knees, and I began to pray that God would heal my father. But when the doctor came downstairs, he said, I'm sorry, but your father is dead. And she said, how dare you tell people that this promise is true, that if you ask in the name of Jesus, that you'll get your prayer answered. Then Harry Ironside asked her, well, did you read the next verse? Did you read verse number 15? If ye love me, keep my commandments. And then he asked her a question. He said, what if you found a check and it was made out to somebody else and yet you took that check and you endorsed it with your name and cashed it? What would that mean? She said, well, that means that I would be a forger. And he said, what you have tried to do is to cash a check that belongs to somebody else. And he said, have you kept the commandments? And he said, have you been doing that? Well, she turned red. She didn't answer the question. What you're trying to do is to cash a check made out to somebody else. So J. Vernon McGee said, we all need to recognize that obedience to him is our evidence of our love for him. And this promise, that's the promise of having your prayers answered, is given to those who love him. So friends, if you want your prayers answered, you can only claim the promise that Jesus gave there by obedience, by obeying his commands. So we find in the scriptures the priority of obedience. Now in two weeks, we're going to see this again. Jesus comes right back to this theme in chapter 15. We'll talk about it once more, about obedience and how to get the prayers answered. But let me go on here because Jesus has some other great teachings that we find in this passage. The next thing that Jesus talks about here with his disciples is the purpose of the Spirit. In chapters 15 and 16, Jesus will have a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm not going to deal too much with it right now, but I want to talk just a little bit about this, why God gave us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is actually God's gift to us. In Acts 2.38, this is part of the time when, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. The people listened to what Peter had to say, and great conviction came upon their hearts. And finally they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? In relation to what Peter has told us, what shall we do? And Peter said in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And listen to this. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Peter said, repent and be baptized. Now, first of all, what are repentance and baptism? Very simply, those are two points of obedience, aren't they? Repent and be baptized. So those things are necessary to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. But then in the end of this verse, he says, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, there are some people who think that this gift of the Holy Ghost, that what he's talking about here, is that once you get saved, that God's going to give you some spiritual gift. God's going to give you the ability to speak in tongues. And maybe that's the gift that he gives. But actually, that's not what he's talking about at all. Because the gift here, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit himself. He gives you the Holy Spirit when you get saved. When you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God himself, the third person of the Trinity, comes and lives inside of you. Now, Jesus calls him the Comforter. 
As I said when we read this earlier, different Bible translations use uh, various words. Some say counselor, some say advocate, intercessor, helper. The word is actually a Greek word, parakletos, and it's the same thing as our word paraclete. And it carries with it all of those meanings that I've just mentioned, but especially this meaning, one who is called alongside to help. And so Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come. He will not come to you. He will not come near you. But he'll be in you. He'll be your helper, your comforter, and your counselor. So he's the paraclete, one called alongside to help. Now I'm going to give you three reasons why God gave us the Holy Spirit. Very quickly. Why did God give us the Holy Spirit? First, to indwell God's people. Look at verses 16 and 17. He says, Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that's the paraclete, paracletos, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Who is the Holy Spirit? Once again, he's the third person of the Godhead. He's one with the Father and with the Son. Now, folks, this was a wonderful thing that Jesus came to this earth. Jesus came here. He spent time with his disciples. He walked with them, talked with them, ate with them. The disciples had fellowship with him. He was their friend. He was their Lord and their master. They were with him for those three years of his public ministry. But now Jesus says to them, you don't need to be saddened. There's no reason to be disheartened because even though this flesh and blood person, Jesus Christ, is going to leave you, yet actually you're going to be in a much better position. And do you know this? For every believer in Jesus Christ, even though Jesus in the flesh and blood is not here today, yet we are in a much better position than those disciples were originally. And do you know why? Because Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will not be near you, He'll not be close to you. He'll not be with you. He will be in you. Listen to what Paul says, how he puts it in Colossians 1. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Listen, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now think of all the prepositions that we could use today. Christ with us, Christ for us, Christ behind us, Christ before us. But there isn't anything as life-changing and as great as this one, Christ in you, Christ in us. In every person who is a believer in Jesus, there dwells the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you see why I say that these teachings are for believers only? You can't find anything here if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. You don't get any of this unless you trust him as your personal savior. Number two, next, why did the Holy Spirit come? To instruct By God's power. Notice verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, friends, in the very truest sense, whatever you get from my preaching, when I stand up here and preach, in the very truest sense, you don't learn these things from me. You learn them from the Holy Spirit. I could preach all day long and people would never understand a single word that I say unless the Holy Spirit takes that word and uses it. Now, there's some people this actually happens to. They come to church, they'll listen to a sermon like this, and they don't understand any of it. 
And they go out and say, I have no idea what that preacher was talking about today. And yet there's some of you that the word touches you. It makes a difference in your life. It draws you closer to the Lord. Why is that? It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit who teaches you. And if I ever believe that I'm anything more than an instrument, anything more than a tool that the Holy Spirit uses, I'm not fit to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, once again, Paul speaks about the Holy Spirit, and he tells this about his own teaching. The great apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, that promise that the Holy Spirit would teach him these things was very important to the development of the New Testament. You know, there are some people who think that when uh, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when, uh, when they wrote these things, they were actually following Jesus around, and they had a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper, and they were writing down everything that Jesus said. And they would say, now, Jesus, hold on just a minute. Slow down a little bit. I didn't get all of that. Would you repeat that for me, please? And then they wrote it down. That's not the way that it was at all. In fact, when Matthew wrote, he was the one who wrote closest to the time of when Jesus was here. He wrote four years afterwards. Mark wrote 25 years after the fact. Luke wrote 30 to 35 years after Jesus had died. And right here, the Gospel of John that we're reading today, John wrote this Gospel 50 to 55 years after Jesus had died. How did they do that? Could you remember something, even this message that I'm preaching today? Can you remember this a year from now, word for word, what I'm saying today? Could you remember this a week from now, word for word, what I'm saying to you? Most of you, when you get out of the building today, you won't even be able to tell anybody what I've said. You have no idea what the sermon was. I don't have the greatest memory in the world. I mean, I tell people, if you've got a prayer request, get one of those blue cards back there and fill it out. Because if you tell me, I'm not going to remember it. Ten minutes later, I'm not going to remember it. So how in the world did these disciples remember what Jesus said up to 55 years after he spoke to them? And they faithfully recorded exactly what Jesus said. How did they do it? The answer is in verse number 26. He says, The Holy Spirit shall teach you all things... Bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. And so when it came time for these gospel writers to write down the words of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was right there directing them to put down exactly what Jesus said. Now, I say, I don't have the greatest memory. I'm I'm not a person who memorizes a lot of Scripture. But did you know this? That you, as a child of God, can claim this same promise in verse number 26. You as a child of God can claim this promise. I promise you that if you will study God's word, if you will read it, if you will memorize some scripture, that at the right moment, the Holy Spirit will bring those words to your memory again just exactly when you need it. I've had that happen to me. I'm not the greatest memorizer. I don't have 10,000 scriptures committed to memory. But I've sat down with people and they'll ask me questions, spiritual questions about the word of God And all of a sudden, that scripture comes to my mind. The Holy Spirit brings that to your mind in order to deal with that person. And that'll work for you. Now, it it can't happen if you don't have it in your mind in the first place. If you've never read it and never studied it, don't expect that you'll have it. 
But when you lend yourself to the study of God's Word, the Holy Spirit will bring the words to your memory when you need them. Now, don't think that you'll ever know or that you'll ever understand Scripture without the Holy Spirit. But when He's there, He'll instruct you by God's power. Now, thirdly, here's why the Holy Spirit was sent. He was sent to intensify Christ's preeminence. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully on this because I want to warn you about something. I want you to beware of any ministry that emphasizes the Holy Spirit and leaves out Jesus Christ. Now, in some ministries, it's all about the Holy Spirit. That's all they'll ever talk about. And so people will fall out in the aisles. They'll roll around, speak in tongues, jump up and down, shout and do all kinds of things. And they'll tell you that you have to have these special manifestations of the Spirit. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I'm going to give you a preview of a coming attraction. In chapter 16, verse number 13, here's what Jesus said. How be it, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Verse 14, he shall, Jesus says, glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. Do you know that's in perfect keeping with all the rest of the New Testament? Here's what, what Paul wrote in Colossians 1 verse 18. You need to know this scripture. It says, and he, Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, Jesus Christ, might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, Jesus Christ, should all fullness dwell. Is Jesus God? Is the Holy Spirit God? Most certainly they are. Without question, both of them are God. But did you know it's the peculiar work of the Holy Spirit to lead a person to Jesus Christ? And you won't be led to Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit. But as he leads, as he directs us towards Christ, he never exalts himself. He never draws attention to himself. He always points to Jesus. And what he's doing is intensifying Christ's intention to make Jesus Christ, the Son of God, preeminent in all things. And so, folks, when there are ministries that magnify the Holy Spirit... You can write this down. They're not doing what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. So he indwells God's people. He instructs by God's power. And he intensifies Christ's preeminence. Now there's one last point I want to give you. I'm going to give it to you quickly. We have the priority of obedience that's taught here. We have the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And now lastly, the promise of peace. Jesus says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now let's once again remember the setting where Jesus says this. Jesus is on the way to the cross. Judas, one of the twelve, has already gone to betray the Lord. In just a few hours, Peter will deny him three times. A little bit later, Jesus will be taken before the Sanhedrin. Then he'll be scourged, he'll be beaten, he'll be nailed to the cross... And then he'll be put on that cross where he'll die and he'll go into the tomb. Now, with all of those things taking place around them, how could these disciples have peace? I mean, here we have problems of magnanimous proportions. Betrayal, denial, the death of the cross in the tomb. How could they have peace like that? 
How could it happen? And you may well ask the question, how can I have peace? I mean, how can Jesus tell me that I can have peace when I'm in the middle of a problem, I am the problem, or I live with the problem? How can I have peace? Here's the key to the whole thing. Jesus gives peace in our problems. You don't have to be without problems to have peace. Now, let me show you something, because now I'm going to bring this whole thing back to the very beginning of the sermon. We're going to make a full circle right now. Having peace in your problems is tied inseparably to your obedience. Listen to what Isaiah 48, verse 18 says. God said to Israel, Oh, that thou hast hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the ways of the sea. Do you know that song? I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. You know where that song came from? Isaiah 48, verse 18. Peace comes from obeying Christ's commandments. Now pay very close attention to what Jesus says. If ye love me, keep my commandments. So Jesus is saying very simply, here's what's best for you. If you keep my commandments, there are no reasons for you to be troubled. There's no reason to be afraid. I think it's very interesting that Jesus began this chapter, John 14, 1, and he said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now we're down to the end of the chapter. And in verse 27, Jesus is about to go to the cross just a few hours away. And what does he say after all of these teachings and telling them he's going away? What does he say once again? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. My question to you today, are you troubled? Are you afraid of something? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We're going to sing that song in just a few minutes as our invitation hymn. Do you trust Jesus? Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? I said in the beginning that the promises that we Read here in God's word in these scriptures are no for no one but believers in him. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, there is no peace for you. There's no safety. There's no happiness. You have to know Jesus. And if you know him, then all the promises of John 14 will come true. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. What a wonderful promise. Trust him first. Trust in Jesus Christ. Then obey him, and you'll have peace and happiness. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you today for this great opportunity to speak of your word. We thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who's come into this world, who teaches us these things, who helps us to realize what you've done for us. We ask you, Lord, that you might speak to some soul today. Maybe there's someone here who's lost. They haven't received you as Savior. Help them to understand that none of the things that I've talked about today will be theirs unless they put their personal faith in you. Lord, unless they trust you unreservedly and know that you died to pay for their sins, we'll take them to heaven when they die. No peace without this. Would you help them to understand that? And then for Christians today, maybe there's some Christian here who's unhappy. They're not satisfied with their life. They're not serving you as they should. Perhaps they're not baptized, which they should be. Perhaps they're not a member of a 
Bible-believing church, which they should be in order to serve you. Lord, we pray that you might show us those points of obedience. And Lord, that we might have a desire of our hearts to obey you in all things. Speak to hearts today. Draw some soul close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing?